What does God require of men? Our text this morning is going to be drawn from Acts chapter 17. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears, that we might hear your word, that we might do your word, that we might be blessed by your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the first month of COVID, I flew to Chicago, and the airline staff and many travelers were not wearing masks. But within a few weeks, American Airlines began requiring masks for everyone on their planes. No mask, no admittance. When it comes to salvation, there are requirements as well. The vindication of the Savior was his resurrection, and Jesus' resurrection places requirements on all men. This morning in the book of Acts, we'll see that resurrection requires repentance. Resurrection requires repentance. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We're going to pick it up at verse 22. Verse 22. And it says there, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, we first met Paul last week, who was then known as Saul, in Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen. Now, since then, some things have happened in his life. He ravaged the church from Jerusalem to Damascus. He was a very zealous Pharisee. But then Jesus intervenes and saves him. He's blinded as he sees a great light as Jesus is revealed to him. And then he's converted, and then he's baptized, and he goes dark for a period while being formatted by God. It may have been a couple of years. And he begins his ministry in Damascus, and then Antioch, and out to the world with his first missionary journey. Now Paul is in the midst of his second missionary journey, There's been trouble in Thessalonica and Berea. So Paul is sent ahead to wait in Athens for Timothy and Silas before they go on to Corinth. Now Paul never wastes any time or opportunity, and so this happened. Paul had gone and reasoned in the synagogue, and he'd gone into the marketplace, and some philosophers in Athens were interested in what he had to say. So they brought him up to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was on Mars Hill. It was the supreme court of the once mighty and relevant Athens, and it receives an ambassador of the kingdom of God. This was once the supreme court for the Athenian state. It was a powerful state and perhaps the most influential on the face of the earth at that time, but now it's centuries later, and Athens is a backwater city in the Roman Empire. All kingdoms are like this when you, the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, come to them. They are passing away, but Christ's kingdom stands forever. Paul acknowledges that they are very religious in their culture. We live in a very religious culture. If you look at statistics today, you see that people claiming the Christian faith has fallen, and yet America is still a very religious country. There are many people who would say that they're spiritual, that they believe in some sort of a God, but they might not be Christians. Athens was very religious. Our culture is very religious. Verse 23, Paul begins speaking, and he says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. As a former Pharisee, 
these idols to these gods would have been an abomination to the Apostle Paul. And yet the man of Christ can observe opportunity wherever he is. It was a common thing to have altars to unknown gods in the ancient Roman world, and yet what do we find here? We find a singular altar to a singular God, to the unknown God. Paul seizes the unknown to make him known. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, a lot of times people wonder, what did St. Paul believe? And a lot of times in our culture, what we do is we, we assume that we've got some of what St. Paul said, and maybe things were added to the Bible. We read what St. Paul teaches on things that are unpopular, and so we assume, well, he probably didn't say that, or he was wrong on that thing. But what did St. Paul believe? What did St. Paul believe that is recorded forever in the Bible? St. Paul believed that God made the world, and the word world there is cosmos, the created order. St. Paul believed that God created the cosmos and everything in it. St. Paul believed the God of the Bible was the Lord of heaven and earth. St. Paul believed that this God is not bound by nature, nor localized in human structures. Now, God did have a temple created, and his presence there rested in the Holy of Holies in that temple, but God did not need that temple as a place to reside. He did that for the sake of men to have his presence among them. Nor does he need anything from men because he is the maker and sustainer of all things. Can I hear an amen to that? So the first part of verse 26, the Apostle Paul continues, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. St. Paul believed in a real historic Adam. Only a complete dolt thinks a first century conservative Jew had any other ideas about the origins of the human race than that God created a real man named Adam who sinned and died at the age of 930, as the Torah teaches. But notice what Apostle Paul said here. Made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. All human beings, white, black, yellow, brown, come from one man and one woman. They share the same red blood, they participate in the same original sin. They all stand under the curse and are all offered the same salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, contra what's going on in our country right now, what we've had is we've had reverse racism and everybody wants to be part of some ethnic group or some racial group. And so groups reacting to the reverse racism are going the other way. And people are saying that the most important thing is whatever your race is or whatever your ethnic group is. And guess what? We're all human beings and sinners in need of salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's here in the body of Christ that we're brought together. We poor sinners, given salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, elevated to the highest of holy places as princes and princesses of the king. This is the new human race in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Going on to verse 26 in the second part, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God is in control of all things. God is in control of every last thing. He's in control of the allotted periods. God has life, the life of the nations in his hands. God has your life in his hands. You're not going anywhere until God decides your time here is done. And guess what, friends? God has work for you to do. God has work planned for you. God has every moment of your life in his hands, and that should make you bold as lions. Boundaries and dwelling places are also in God's hands. How much nations, even evil ones, flourish is in God's hands. God always brings down evil nations faster than expected, and God raises up righteous nations unexpectedly. May God bless us and have mercy upon us as we become a nation that's turned away from him. May he turn us back to him. God is always reaching out to fallen mankind. We read these words of the same Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. The entire cosmos is a great theater glorifying God and testifying to the presence of God. The entire created order is filled with mysteries that show the thumbprint of God. Why the rain falls? Why do we even have water on this planet? How do plants turn green? And what's the mystery of photosynthesis? Why are people created in a way that not only do we do things, but we contemplate doing those things? We have thoughts and wonder about the origins of all things, but these are not enough to lead a person to God. For you see, we have the capacity as human beings, the capacity to have faith, the capacity to understand, the capacity to turn to God, but we do not possess the will. Because of the fall, our hearts are made of stone and we need the intervention of God to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Going on to verse 27 in the second part. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. God is near to all of us, and yet we are separated because of our sin. We are blinded by sin. If you're sitting out here this morning and you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the age to come, it's because you've been given the gift of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you believe, it's because of God's graciousness and sending the Holy Spirit to open your heart and to indwell your heart and to cause you to see things as they really are and be grateful for what God has done. God is everywhere present in his creation, but he is apart from his creation. 
For the unbeliever, God is right there. Jesus is right there pointing us all to the gospel, but we need it in an intervention of the highest order. And Paul points to the Greek poet Aratus to show that God is very near through common grace. God uses all kinds of strange means. Friends, be open to the means of God that he might use. Be open to the opportunities that God might place before you. Here we've got a Greek poet, a pagan poet, whom God predestined to write these words long before the Apostle Paul came along, and then the Apostle Paul quotes these words, and God uses it for his honor and glory. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold and silver or stone and image formed by the art and imagination of man. Knowing what God is like is knowing his word. I'm going to keep hammering on this. Kids, listen up. Know God's word. If you know a little snippet of it and you put it down, you're going to run into trouble. Right? People always like to say whatever sin they're involved in and you call them out on that, they always say, well, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. They don't quote the rest of what Jesus said. If Jesus is the second person of the Godhead and he's the word of God, that means he inspired all of this and it's all his word. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God requires of you, you need to know what he said. God has spoken. God's not prophesying forth his word anymore. It's been canonized. It is complete. We see that in the book of Revelation. Don't add to the words of this prophecy. If you want to know what God is like and you want to know how the world operates, know the word of God. Read it. Meditate upon it. Bathe in it, as it were. Eat it like food, for it is true food. Don't be a lazy Christian or an ignorant pagan. Now we look at this and we say, images of gold and silver and stone. But notice what Paul says at the end there. An image formed by the heart and imagination of man. You may not have little statues lying around your house that you give offerings up to, but your heart is perfectly capable of creating all kinds of false gods. John Calvin said our hearts are factories of idolatry. We can even take the word of God and read one part of it. And then other parts we say, well, I don't think God would do that. And your imagination has created a new God for you. Don't listen to your hearts. Listen to the word of God. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In the old covenant, God overlooked ignorance until the coming of the Christ. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Well, they're saved the same way people in the New Testament are by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but how much less they knew. And by knowing less, how much less are they accountable for? We see there's all kinds of strange Gentile believers scattered throughout the Old Testament. We've got people like Melchizedek and Job, but we see that the Old Testament was prophesying to the coming of the Christ, and now we live in the age after the coming of the Christ when those prophecies have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and the testimony of them has been set down in the New Testament 
Abraham saw the day of Jesus forward and very fuzzy, and he rejoiced in it. But now that the Christ has come, the canon's completed, the gospel goes out in its fullness, and all nations are without excuse if they will not repent. The threshold of judgment was much lower in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. They were waiting for the coming of the Christ. Their sins were piling up, as it were, waiting for the coming of Jesus who would shed his blood and cover their sins just like our sins are covered. But how much more do we know? How much more do we have available to us? On the last day, no one will be able to come forward and say that they had ignorance. And in this age in which we live, when the gospel is going to the ends of the earth and anybody can go online and read the word, how much more so in our day? But now, all people are required to repent because of the resurrection. Jesus lived for righteousness. Jesus died for righteousness. Jesus rose from the dead as the righteous judge, and now this is declared to the nations, and they are without excuse. And what is your job? Your job is exactly what St. Paul does. Your job is to preach the good news to the nations. Your job is to go into the highways and byways and to preach and live the good news. Not all of us are called to be evangelists, but all of us are to live our lives evangelistically. Let's go forth this week and preach the gospel to those around us. They'll take just about anyone. Traditionally, it's just been adventurers, men who don't fit in, and criminals. The one thing that is required to join the French Foreign Legion is to turn away from your past, to repent, as it were, from the person that you were, to become something new, to join a new family with a new name forever as a legionnaire. There's a nation, a kingdom, that will take anyone. Its population is made up of former cheats, liars, murderers, adulterers, dishonorers of parents, idolaters, sinners all. The one thing that is required to join the kingdom of God and become part of a new family forever is faith in the king. One must turn from their sins and repent, and repentance is an act of faith. We've learned this morning in the book of Acts that resurrection requires repentance. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you bless us and give us repentant hearts. For us as Christians, would you cause us to see and to gratefully apprehend that which you have already given us in Christ and to fight the good fight of repenting again from our sins. And I pray that if there be anybody in here this morning that does not know you, that you would give them a heart of repentance, that you would give them the gift of faith. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.